Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello, welcome to Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. I'm Dan Raywood. And Michael Hill here as well. Thank you so much for joining us for what is our first uh, podcast episode of 2020. So delighted you could be here with us as we kick the year off in our podcast series, Into Security. Uh, so as ever, we'll, we'll kick things off with a look back at some of the top news stories of the, the past week or so. Uh, first one uh, from me involves the UK government. Now, uh, the UK government uh, was, was facing urgent questions this week after it revealed that betting companies were given access to a Department for Education database containing personal information on 28 million children. Uh, so known as the Learning uh, Record Service, the database stores information on students in England, Wales and Northern Ireland uh, choosing to take, uh, take post-14 qualifications like GCSEs. However, according to a report that was on the Sunday Times, a data intelligence firm known as GP Group uh, was able to sign an agreement with, with a third-party company to access the data. Uh, now, GP Group's clients include gambling firms such as Betfair and 32Red, um, which apparently use the data for age and IT verification on their websites. Uh, the third party, Trust System Software, denies providing database access to GB Group. Uh, both GB Group and um, DFE, Department uh, for Education, are investigating their reports, uh, with DFE um, having, having reportedly disabled access to the data trove and informing the ICO. Um, a quote we had here, a, a spokesperson from the uh, DFE that was speaking to the Sunday Times said this was completely unacceptable unacceptable and we have immediately stopped the firm's access and ended our agreement with them. We will be taking the uh, strongest possible action. Uh, the Children's Commissioner for England, Anne uh, Longfield, reportedly said that she was very shocked to learn the data had been hand over, handed over in this way. Um, although the information used by the betting firms appears to have been limited, um, given it covers a huge number of children, the incident could well lead to a significant GDPR investigation by the ICO. Uh, it's a strange story, Dan, to, to come across. Um, you know, 28 million children. Strange that betting, well, the, the, a firm that has um, clients that are betting companies was involved in this. Um, be good to see where this one goes over the next, well, few weeks. Yeah, I'm just reading back the story. It says, yeah, it's... Um the clients include gambling firms who apparently use the data for age and ID verification on their websites, but I don't quite know how that works mm. because that would then suggest that, let's say, a, a, a kid uh, who, uh, 28 million children, let's say a child called Michael Hill, um, what are they doing? Are they comparing that against you? Mm. I don't know if you do online gambling, that's up to you, but you're <laughs> an age to decide. But I don't, I don't quite know how, why... Why, how they would use that. No, it's just a strange run that the, the agreement was allowed to happen in the first place. Obviously, uh, part the, the, the third party um, has come out and denied providing access to GB Group there, but um, they've got access somehow, haven't they? So mm. it'll be interesting to see what the um, investigations uh, find there and whether the ICO will indeed um, get involved. Yeah, like, like, and one person commenting on that was Javad Malik from No Before, and they said he said it's... Um, not just a security breach, but a breach of trust where there is an expectation of fair, lawful, and transparent uses of the data. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's a it's a not good one actually. It's quite a, a disappointing one. And we've seen you know, government have problems in the past, going back to 
well, way back to 2007 to the, the loss of the HMRC, I think it was HMRC, um, the, the, the two CD-ROMs, and um, we'll, we'll check if it was HMRC, if I think it was. But, um, yeah, yeah another, another problem there. Well, speaking of problems, um, Travelex. Um, we're recording today on the 22nd of January. And this has been a bit of a persistent story going back just into the end of last year, actually, is Travelex. Um, I'm sure that you've probably read this in, in the national news as well as what we've been covering in Info Security. Because um, they reported on New Year's Eve um, that, well, it was reported on New Year's Eve that the world's leading foreign exchange specialist was shut down due to a software virus. Um, it originally said that was planned maintenance was the cause and it'll be back online soon. Well, actually, 22nd of January, and they're not back online yet. Um, in a statement that they put up at the time, they said this is the result of malware. Um, upon discovery, we immediately began an investigation and, as a precautionary measure, took all our systems offline to prevent the spread of the malware further across our network. Uh, they're working with world-renowned international cyber experts. Don't want any to be world around international, but uh, people who could do the job would be quite good enough. Um, and turning our focus to a robust recovery and remediation strategy. Um, it was also well later on in the story that we've run a few stories here on Info Security about this, and it was actually disclosed that it was actually ransomware that they'd been hit by, particularly a variant called um, So Sodino Kibi. Um, it's also been known as R Evil. So let's stick with R Evil because that's a bit easier to say. And uh, this is where uh, different names are given by different vendors um, and uh, it was uh, I mean the ransom was contained the company was able to recover and slowly uh, resume its internal systems bringing them back online um, I did check the website this morning uh, on the 22nd of January and that it, they're still not back online it's saying continuing to work with relevant authorities including the Met Police who are conducting their own uh, criminal investigations um, the hit on Travelex also is kind of really hit as well as people who are trying to get uh, foreign currency there was a lot of consumer stories about people ordering currency and stuff like that. It also affected some of the, the banks that they actually provide services to, including RBS, Sainsbury's Bank, First Direct, Virgin Money and Barclays. Um, a story we ran actually only two days ago on the 20th of January um, claimed that actually the cause of this was a vulnerability in the VPN software um, that they used in Pulse Secure. Now, it's not a hit on Pulse Secure at all, because uh, I'm sure Pulse Secure have actually been on top of that. But um, this may have allowed attackers to remote uh, to remotely execute malware on the Travelex IT systems. That That is still unconfirmed. So it's been a... We like a story to kind of persist for a while. We see so many stories kind of come and go and uh, don't have a lot of a lot of strength. But this one's been a well. I don't know if we're gonna we're gonna see it come in the end by the end of January. Do you think, Michael? Well, I would have thought so. I mean, it's what uh, three weeks now, isn't it, since this was this was first uh, reported? And surprising that the actual site itself is still down. But yeah, who knows? Maybe this could roll into February. We have to keep an eye on that. Um, okay, another story from me, and this actually. Um, uh, is GDPR related. Now, this was uh, um, some research by DLA Piper, um, who actually discovered that there's been 114 million euros in, fine, in fines in, imposed by Euro authorities under GDPR. So 114 uh, million euros is about $126 million, 97 million pounds. Um, now, it's worth noting that not all of those fines are related to do data breach infringements. Um, but DLL Piper did, um, did, did actually discover um, that more than 160,000 data breach notifications have been reported across the 28 European Union member states since GDPR came into force on May 25th, 2018. 
Um, so looking at fines again, in terms of the total value of fines issued by region, uh, France was top with uh, 51 million euros, Germany second, 24.5 million euros, and Austria third, 18 million. And then the Netherlands, Germany, and the UK made up the, the top three of the um, highest number of data uh, breaches reported to regulators by, by region. Um, so the uh, research pointed to the highest GDPR fine to date is actually 50 million uh, euros that was imposed by the French data protection regulator on Google. Uh, that was for the alleged infri infringements of the trans transparency principle and lack of valid consent. Now, obviously, earlier this year, we uh, the U UK ICO did publish in intentions to fine uh, British Airways and Marriott following the um, high-profile uh, breaches that those two uh, companies suffered. Uh, so British Airways, that was uh, £183.39 million, Marriott £99 million. But obviously, um, at the time they report, at the time we were recording the podcast, they, they're still actually ongoing, those um, those two cases. So it uh, be interesting to see what that um, how that actually ends up and what the figures are for those two companies. Um just, just reporting on, uh, just, just commenting on the uh, report findings was uh, Ross McKean, who's a partner at DLA Piper, uh, specialising in cyber and data protection. Uh, he said, he said uh, GDPR has driven the issue of data breach well and truly into the open. The rate of breach notification has increased by over 12% compared to last year's report, and regulators have been busy road testing their new powers to sanction and fine organisations. The total amount of fines of uh, 114 million euros imposed to date is relatively low compared to the potential maximum fines that can be imposed under GDPR, indicating that we are still in the early days of enforcement. We expect to see uh, momentum build with more multi-million euro fines being imposed over the coming year as regulators ramp up their enforcement activity. It's quite an interesting one, uh, Dan. It's always interesting to kind of see what fines have been handed out and actually um, come 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 into force since GDPR has uh, been in, in law. Uh, but yeah, they, um, like uh, McKean made the point there, 114 million euros isn't a great deal of money if you think the GDPR came into uh, came into effect May last year and you think about the, the types of fines that it can, can that, that gives regulators the power to hand out. Mm -hmm. And also 114 million euros, yes, but as stated in the research, not all those fines were related to data breach infringements. Yeah. Maybe the most interesting part regarding actually data breaches is this, the, the fact that there were 160,000 data breach notifications um, reported since GDPR has been in force across the um, 28 EU member states. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, we, we, we came into GDPR and, um, uh, you know, and expected all this kind of world-ending sort of... Uh, terrifying news about how bad everything was going to be and all the uh, all, all that was going to come with it but um, as, as it turns out nothing's really kind of terrified so much when that the two intent to fines against BA and Marriott came around I think it was July last year and yeah I think like you said you know we, we, those haven't actually been um, settled yet I think they've actually been extended or something like that mm. um, but 160,000 notifications I mean that's quite a lot isn't it mm. and I wonder actually if that's just the ICO and the other um, regulatory um, uh, agents across the across uh, across Europe that, that's what they're having their work through maybe it's just a delay maybe in 2020 is going to be when we start seeing more action by the ICO who knows but it's uh, yeah it, it's interesting that yeah kind of well 18 months or so into into GDPR now and things aren't really sort of 
getting as worse as we all thought they would be. But, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe it's such a negative thing. Well, speaking of negative things, the last story then um, is just going to sort of round up what's been quite an interesting trend from the start of, the, of 2020. So we did, um, back on the 9th of January, we did a webinar and uh, an editorial, which uh, we published the day after on the 10th of January, looking forward at the predictions, uh, which we did with uh, with Forrester. And um, we... we Essentially, what we did was we went through all the, the predictions that we'd had, and uh, it's quite common this type of year, that that time of year, November through sort of January, to get lots and lots of vendor emails. Thanks very much for everyone for sending those. We promised we did read them all, and um, kind of triage the top trends. And we delivered sort of top six trends, which you can read on that that article and also listen to that webinar again. But uh, one of the ones actually we did uh, see was kind of predictions about there being more vulnerabilities. And uh, in particular, this was going to be caused by the end of support for a number of operating systems, including Windows 7 and uh, Windows 2008. Um, so on top of that, then, we thought we'd look at some of the, the top four stories. We managed to drill it down to four stories that have focused on vulnerabilities uh, in the last few weeks. So to start off, then, most recently, the 21st of January, it was reported that Microsoft and the U.S. government were warning of a critical remote code execution vulnerability in Internet Explorer. Uh, this was uh, being exploited in the wild at the time of writing, the 21st of Jan. Um, this zero-day exists in the way the scripting engine handles objects in memory, in according to a Microsoft advisory. So that was Explorer, which, uh, well, according to the story we actually rubbed, it's still got a fair amount of traction, actually, Explorer. Now, a lot of people now moving to Microsoft. Microsoft's uh, Edge browser. Uh, another one, uh, this one came from Oracle. They hit an all-time record for the number of security fixes issued in a critical patch update. Uh, they provided 334 patches in um, across for 90 products, 90 products, in their uh, update just a, a week or so ago. Uh, the third one, which was probably got the most amount of traction, actually, was on the 15th of January. This was the first Microsoft patch uh, bundle for the year, and they had a critically rated flaw that uh, exists in the way that Crypto API DLL validates elliptic curve cryptography certificates. Um, this particularly affected Windows 10 and uh, Windows Server 2016 and 2019, and if successful, an attacker could then conduct a man-in-the-middle attack and decrypt con confidential information or run malware in environments using app whitelisting. Um, when I first read that, I didn't really understand what the issue was, but I've sort of tried to read it back to myself. It makes a little more sense. But um, it was actually discovered and disclosed to Microsoft by, by the NSA, of all people, actually. So it was you know, got a lot of traction about its disclosure and also the, uh, the, sort of the critical nature of it. And um, so I've had two major, almost zero days from my, for Microsoft in the first few weeks of uh of the year is well, no laughing matter, and just the last one there it relates to Citrix. Um, they've issued patches for a serious vulnerability in its application delivery controller product, which uh, again experts have warned is being exploited in the wild. Uh, the bug in ADC and the Citrix gateway actually uh, date back to December, and if exploited, could allow an authenticated attacker to perform arbitrary code execution. Uh, the firm uh, Citrix, in this case, did announce a series of mitigations to help protect customers, but uh, researchers claim to have discovered tens of thousands of users still who are uh, still exposed. Um, just to sort of point you also, if you're interested in a bit more vulnerability management and the trend, uh, I was at the uh, Qualys customer conference in London last week, and they've announced plans. They actually announced their plans in November to roll out a product which is going to sort of roll vulnerability management and um, patch deployment into one product called VMDR. We're officially going to see the launch of that in the end of February. But 
It's, Michael, it's more misery, isn't it? Well, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, you know, patching and uh, vulnerability management is one of those things that, you know, is always going to come up. It's always going to be a challenge for companies keeping on top of that. Um, it doesn't surprise me that it's been a, a big trend in 2019 and our prediction said it's going to be more of a trend uh, for this year. So we'll keep reporting on it, um, see what changes, and hopefully towards the end of the year we'll have some more positive news to report on that. Um, but moving away from our straightforward news then, um, we want to share a couple of uh, Slack space pieces uh, with you. So some stories or research that came to... Um, that came up but maybe didn't make the usual kind of head um, headlines in the news. Um, first one for me is kind of all, all talking, all seeing threats really. Um, now this was actually um, some research around walkie-talkie toys and karaoke devices that actually hit the headlines back in December. Um, now which consumer group highlighted potentially um, hackable vulnerabilities that could be used by strangers to interact with these toys and machines um, to actually interact with children. Um, so which examined various walkie-talkies and karaoke devices sell, uh, sold by well-known retailers like Argos, John Lewis and Amazon. Uh, the firm discovered that three out of seven popular toys tested had flaws. Now they included the Kitty Gear walkie-talkie made by VTech, um, which apparently a stranger could potentially pair with another of the same device uh, from a distance of up to 200 foot away. Uh, and the singing machine, uh, karaoke machine, singing machine SMK250PP to be exact, uh, to which a stranger could possibly stream audio uh, from a distance of up to 10 metres away, as the Bluetooth connection uh, did not require authentication. Now, I guess these findings by which uh, just more evidence, really, of the safety and security issues that continue to plague all connected devices, but particularly... Um, those that are involved in kind of children's toys and uh, children's devices, um, quite worrying really. I, show, I think it shows you again that uh, the security implications of uh, connected devices is still uh, still a, a big issue. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it's well we're through Christmas now, but I'm sure a lot of uh, of toys and uh, well not just toys for kids, but also for sort of the older kids as well. Um, we're probably taking in this sort of IoT factor of connected uh, to mobile apps, the way things work these days. So the fact is, yeah, these were uh, sort of had these problems is probably not a massive surprise, but um, it's um, just the way things are. Uh, another one we, we ran, actually, ran our Slack space section, actually, was um, a quite interesting story that we, we found on a French website called ACTU, A-C-T-U, um, where they talked about how, um, for better local communication, the, the Gendarmerie, Gendarmerie de la Manche, pardon my pronunciation, um, partnered with the action group CyberMalvelance.gov uh, to distribute 10,000 baguette sleeves, which included practical cyber safety recommendations. Now, this is, uh, I think, as I recall, the Gendarmerie de la Manche were, I think, kind of a, a regional police force or something like that for the... Uh, Sort of the, the very northern France, um, northern part of France, and um, the, the the baguette sleeves. There were ten thousand. I said, and they contain advice such as beware of beautiful promises, no hasty clicks, do not communicate your personal data, and do not give in to blackmail. Now we were quite reliant on Google Translate for some of this, and um, so you know, if anyone does read this story and does want to correct us, then please do. We're very happy to hear your uh, thoughts on what we should have been uh, writing. But it was an interesting concept, and there. Um, the commander of the provincial Gendarmerie group of the channel, 
said they were um, that scams were prevalent in the pre-holiday period. Uh, that means of payment, false advertisements are present are present every year. And the intention of the sleeve was to reach the widest audience with generic safety recommendations. It's we've seen missing children on pints of milk in America, and we've seen um, you know. I know promotions on on various foods. I don't really look at them closely. Closely, but um, you ever seen cybersecurity advice in a bag yet? <laughs> well, no, it's a new one on me. But I think what they're doing, Dan, is they're trying to make uh, security the bread and butter. Obviously, excellent. So there we are. Okay, well that brings us pretty much to the end of this episode. But we will just wrap up with a few quick messages from us and what we're uh, doing here at Info Security Magazine. Um, literally, as we as we speak, the uh, Q1 print issue uh, is now being distributed. So that's out. That should be landing on doorsteps. If you've had a chance to read it, great. If not, make sure you do uh, try and pick it up and have a read. Got some really great fe- uh, features in there. And this actually, this issue will actually be uh, sent over and um, distributed at RSA conference, which is obviously uh, coming up um, the end of next month. Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be going to that. A few of us are heading over to San Francisco, so we'll be uh, doing some some content from there. But we'll be uh, we'll have another podcast before we go, so we can have a bit more detail on on what we're going to actually going to be covering there and a bit more. Uh, a bit more of an idea of what's actually going to be going on there because I've had a bit of a run through the agenda but uh, we'll pick up a bit more of the uh, a few more of the highlights but uh, other than that yeah we're going to be looking at some other so going to some other conferences coming up um, uh, I'm going to be going to my, my first trip to B-Sides Leeds my first B-Sides of the year in the next couple of days and um, well it's going to be an interesting one because I've seen it people talking about that and um, well hopefully it'll be quite a positive one and also next week I'm going to be in San Diego for Digicert's conference I've been talking there about um, on the, the notes today about um, uh, the the Microsoft um, one of the zero days anyway one of the problems there was about um, uh, decrypting confidential information by uh, validating elliptic curve cryptography certificates so a bit more certificate security and when, um, when this offer came up it seemed really interesting to actually go and talk about we've done things like TLS uh, 1.3 last year and also around the move to more HTTPS so it'll be interesting to see what this company is actually saying about that so that's next week and um, yeah otherwise well just one final thing uh, I guess before we sign off is uh, our online our next online summit event is now uh, being advertised on our website you can actually go ahead and register for that so that's going to be taking place on the 25th and 26th of March so again uh, two full days full of, uh, full of uh, sessions, um, how-to uh, sessions, um, panel debates, interviews with in, uh, industry uh, thought leaders. So make sure you do kind of have a look at that and uh, get yourself registered for that event. And we look forward to seeing you uh, there for the next online summit. Uh, but without further ado, uh, we'll say a big thank you uh, for joining us and listening to this episode. And we'll see you again soon. Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast.